Good morning. Um, yeah, as Tim said, I'm Miles. Um, been in the church for six years since the beginning. Um, 2014, that feels like a long time ago. Um, and yeah, continuing to look through our Ephesians series today. Um, Ephesians 4, yeah, I thought it would be good before we get, go into it to first pause and look back at the journey so far to both recenter us in the story and excite us for what lies ahead. We opened our journey with chapter one and how we are chosen in Christ, chosen by him and for him from the beginning to praise and glorify him. Chapter two showed us that we are alive in Christ, freed from our slavery to sin and death and given new life because of his mercy and grace. And last week in chapter three, Tim showed us how we have received power in Christ. Power to understand the riches and goodness uh, of his love and power to confidently and boldly proclaim that. So I ask, what now? Paul has spent three chapters of this book telling the Ephesians everything that God has done for them. All of the grace, the mercy, the goodness. You ask, where can we possibly go from here? And that is where Ephesians chapter four comes in. In this chapter, Paul is interested in life in Christ. What should life look like now? Um, taking into account all the context of, um, of chapters one to three. Paul opens chapter four with a, a plea. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I urge you to display on the outside a life that has been changed by all that, that God has done for it. And I know that that can perhaps seem like a really heavy thing. Um, when I was reading through this chapter myself, I noticed that in the NIV version of the Bible, there's this very stern and severe sounding heading to, chapter, to verse 17 that says, instructions for Christian living. And now I'm sure the translators of the Bible knew what they were doing when they, when they wrote that, but man, they really know how to put a dampener on the mood, don't they? <laughs> and I think it is very easy to get the message wrong when we're reading verses like this. Perhaps we kind of read some of these um, instructions or commands in the Bible and uh, we become numb to them a little bit. Isn't this all a bit legalistic? I'm not a murderer, I don't steal. Uh, this really doesn't apply to me, does it? And you are saved by grace and not by works. That is made very clear in the Bible. But I think there's a really dangerous tendency in the human heart to shut off when we read these commands and these instructions. It's so easy to brush off Paul's words here, thinking that they're of secondary or minimal importance to us. Or perhaps we swing the other way. We read Paul's instructions on living as a Christian and we think, I've got to follow these to the letter. If I don't, then I'm just not a very good Christian and I need to try harder to be a better Christian. And if I don't become a better Christian, then, then God doesn't love me. I faced that struggle too in my life. When I was younger, I attended a church where 
that this devilish lie was spoken from the pulpit every Sunday. God does not love you unless you do this, this, and this. How short and narrow and low and shallow God's love would have to be if that were the case. No. As we heard last week, God's love is long and wide and high and deep. Nothing we do can change how much he loves us. And whether we find Paul's instructions legalistic or we swing the other way and find them a burden, I think the root cause is the same. It's this lie that God's commandments are somehow bad and stern and overbearing. But we know that the God of love, grace and mercy that Paul describes in chapters one to three is exactly the same God that he's describing in chapter four. God isn't fickle or changeable. He doesn't play tricks on us. The Bible says that he is good forever and his love endures. So as we go through chapter four, let's view him through that lens of holistic goodness as we learn to walk in line with his will. As we learn to live a life that is worthy of the calling we've received, let's hold with that the never-ending grace, mercy, goodness described in chapters one to three. And I'd love to tell you that's a really easy thing to do, but it's really hard. Um, I absolutely have not got the balance right in my life. But God is gracious and compassionate. And he won't ever ask you to do something that Jesus hasn't already done before. And he's faithful to bear with us as we learn to love him better. There are three things that I found in this chapter that I really think help to nullify these lies and burdens that prevent us from stepping deeper into life in Christ. Firstly, I think we need to refresh our view of God's commands. I remember when I was at university um, doing evangelism events with the CU, and one of the questions I would always get asked was, isn't Christianity just a bunch of rules? It sounds so boring. For some reason, we have this idea in our head that rules are inherently bad, don't we? They're there to impose restrictions on us and make life boring. Someone tells us uh, not to do something. What's our immediate thought? We want to do it. <laughs> if you tell a child not to, not to touch something, they want to touch it. But the truth is these rules are often there to protect us. Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. When God tells us to do something, it's not because he wants to control us or make life difficult or boring for us. It's the opposite. He wants us to have the best version of life that we could possibly have. For example, when God says, do not murder, that's not God being boring. It's because it's a good thing not to murder people. <laughs> Equally, when Paul gives these instructions to the Ephesians of stop telling lies, don't be angry, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, it's because those things will eat you up inside if you hold on to them. 
God isn't trying to control you. He's trying to free you from the things that kill and steal and destroy. I don't know about you, but whenever I, um, whenever I used to think of Paul in Sunday school, or um, I always pictured this kind of grumpy professor character who, who, who kind of peers over his glasses like that and, uh, and says things like, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt do that. But that could not be further from the truth. Paul loves the church. That much is clear to see in his letters. And when he gives the church these commands, we can be sure they're given in absolute love and care. God is our loving Father. He is kind and compassionate, and in this kindness, he gives us these commandments. These instructions are exactly the same as any other parent loving their child. They tell them not to run into the road. It's not because they want to stop them having fun. It's to protect them. God is the same with us. God's commandments are there and are given to us from a place of love and freedom. Secondly, we have the Holy Spirit with us, helping us. Paul says in verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I personally like the way the message version of the Bible puts it. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit, moving and breathing in you, is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. We do have the Holy Spirit inside us. And I don't mean that as a heavy thing. I don't mean it in a, be careful, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, do not sin. Whilst that may be true, I don't think it's the whole story that Paul is trying to, to get across the Ephesians here. I think... I think he's encouraging them that we aren't doing this in our own strength and willpower, but through the everlasting power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, how awesome is it? You have the Holy Spirit inside you. You don't do this alone. When I get bogged down with the the heaviness of, of commandments or instructions, it's often because I'm striving to do them in my own strength, just trying really, really hard to be perfect. And lo and behold, I end up failing. It's in those times that I need to remember to take a step back and remind myself that I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside me. I'm not striving alone, but through him who gives me strength. And the good news is that we're never too far gone. We're saved by grace and grace alone. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love or salvation not even trying really, really hard to follow all his commands perfectly. His grace and mercy will always be freely available to us. And if we stumble in our attempts to follow him, then may remember that God's mercies are new every morning and that he he is always quick to to forgive us. Thirdly and finally, Guys, we have each other to help us. Our fellow brothers and sisters to equip, uphold, and encourage us to live that life that is worthy of the calling we have received. We've all been given different different gifts and all needed for the, the working of the church. 
verse 11 says, this is the NLT. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers. We need each other to grow and be fully equipped and prepared. Imagine if the entire church were prophets, or the entire church were teachers, or apostles, well, there'd be no one left, would there? They'd all gone and planted other churches. <laughs> it just wouldn't work, would it? We need each other, and we belong to each other as the church. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, so says the prophet. Paul says to keep going. Keep going, sharpening each other, until you all reach unity in faith and knowledge of Jesus. It's then and only then, Paul says, that with the help of our brothers and sisters, that we will reach full maturity in our faith. And when, when that happens, Paul says, we'll be no longer uh, be blown around by the lies and clever tricks, the ones that say, don't bother following these commands, and the ones that say, you must follow these commands in order for God to love you. Those half-truths won't influence us anymore. And when the whole church reaches maturity, Paul describes this glorious picture of what happens when the church is truly united as one. He says in verse 15, this is, like I say, from the NLT, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Guys, this is the picture of what is to come, and it is very, very exciting. Paul is describing this picture of true life in Christ, being so closely aligned with him that every day we become exponentially more and more like him. And we can only achieve that by being united with our brothers and sisters. That's why Paul urges the church in Ephesus to make every effort to stay united, to be patient with each other, bearing with each other's faults. Don't let your faults with another person uh, cause division among you. Forgive and bear with each other in love. Don't leave anyone behind. Don't show favoritism. Build up and encourage. Don't break down. Because Paul knows that when fully united, the church is so much stronger than the sum of its parts. So I'll come into land with this. Is life in Christ all about following commandments? Well, I would say partly, but not because our following those commands makes us right with God, but because God loves us first and longs for us to be his. And after all of the riches and the gifts that he has poured out on us, how can we not give our lives back to him? We don't do it alone. We have the Holy Spirit and we have our brothers and sisters around us guiding us and equipping us to live our lives in Christ, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.